You're listening to the Geek Legacy Escape Pod. The crew coming together and gelling and becoming this like you know intergalactic family that we know and love. And wacky mayhem ensues. It just feels like they're trying so hard to capture the fans of the original series. Yeah, that was hot garbage. It, he just got like weird, like creepy uncle weird. That was a bold choice. Yeah, I, I had fun with it. It's true. It was the 80s. It must be so bad that they just never <laughs> You won't make it in the future, do they? I don't think so, no. I am not a Tashi R fan. That's probably the nicest thing I will say. That is absolutely perfect way to describe <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Hey there, geek boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Geek Legacy's Escape Pod. We are finally wrapping up the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, we challenged ourselves a few months ago to uh, go back and rewatch this old beloved TV show of our childhood and see if it lived up to our, our recollections, our, our very fond childhood memories of this series. Um, there are those of us who were naysayers going, nah, season one sucks. You don't want to watch that. But there were others who was like, no, I think I, had, I think I remember some pretty good episodes. And uh, today is the day that we get to wrap it all up and, and see where we finally land. Now, um, we, are, we, we just watched episode number 25 uh, this week, um, the final episode of the season. And we've already decided uh, after last week's episode that we have more yays than nays for the season. So it just barely tipped the scale in favor of, uh, of a positive outcome um for uh, good episodes more good episodes than bad according to how we rated it so um without any further ado let me go ahead and introduce the finest two gentlemen i would ever want to share an escape pod with uh first one being justin cavender how you doing sir i am fabulous randy very excited to end season one of tng it's all that i had hoped for and more oh love it Love it, love it, love it. Are, 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 how about you, Mr. David? Are you uh, are you looking forward to seeing Riker's beard as much as I am now that we're done with season one? Well, as the aforementioned naysayer who uh, who was the initial jerk off who who thought that it was going to be all bad, uh, looking back at our yays and nays on our spreadsheet, I think that uh, I think that we probably gave a couple yays that we were just grasping at straws. We're like, uh, at least this is. It's okay, so we'll give it a A to where I think some of the A's we gave for this first season would be hard nays in the the following subsequent seasons. So uh, it'll be interesting to kind of go go through the next season and see uh, if our yays to nays uh, increases or decreases based off the first season. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I, uh, I I I dug watching the finale. Uh, we made it through the whole first season, and uh, can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. It's it's interesting to to say like you would have gone back and and changed your your vote for for earlier episodes in the season, because uh, I think we all kind of feel like yeah we were grading a little bit lenient uh, for a while there because we had so many nays in a row we're like come on guys we got to find something positive out of these episodes so we started getting a little um, I don't know because my whole thing was if I got conversation out of it then it, then I must have enjoyed it like good conversation it wasn't ragging on how terrible it was it was right. discussing the themes and the characters that that warranted a a yay i know a lot of people were like oh my god this episode was torture as i was watching it but when you read between the lines and just deal with the subject matter and find relatability to it then i think there's something to be said positive yeah, it, for that matter if it sparked a discord or if it um had something relevant to say um you know about 
any kind of social commentary, which a lot of these ones really did. Uh, and stuff was just as relevant today as it was in the 80s for most of it. So, uh, though, yeah, those are the ones that we tended to to grade a little bit more favorably. And here we are on the, the season finale, and it doesn't matter whether we vote yay or nay, because season one does have a yay stamp next to it. Maybe we can put a little asterisk by it. But um, I, I'll tell you that uh, if we were really being scientific about it, we would probably revisit it again in like 10 years. But you know what? I'm okay if I never watch season one again. <laughs> Uh, for the rest of my life. And we have notes as to why <laughs> it was good or not, so we really don't need to revisit it. Like one hundred percent. Yeah, we can listen to these half hour, forty minute episodes of uh Escape Pod, you know, and be reminded what these episodes were and then save ourselves a few minutes not having to watch it. And then we get you, to, you to reminisce. Run one hundred percent. And you bring up an interesting point because these were originally going to be like 10, 15 minutes, just like shorts. But the discussion that came about from these uh made them be 30 to 45 minutes and I, to me that alone warrants you know the the reasoning behind some of the yays if it was just supposed to be 10 minutes yeah i liked it i know i thought it sucked then that's another story but if we're able yeah. to go on about it for that long then maybe there's something there yeah and honestly and even if that was our original intent it was just kind of Instead of uh, packing it in with our, our mothership show, just the the regular Geek Legacy podcast, giving it its its own little forum, just so that we could maybe trash talk the episodes or just do a quick yay or nay. Um, I, I don't think that would do the the series justice. I think uh, these episodes deserve to be talked about, if nothing else, for for the points we just brought up about the social commentary and um, just really seeing the growth in the show from season one to where Star Trek is as a whole now, or even at the end of the seven season run where next generation ended up so yeah um there's a a lot to digest so let's just kind of go ahead and dive into uh this week's episode the finale called the neutral zone it originally aired on may 14th 1988 um imdb gives it a rating of 7.5 stars which is relatively high Last week's, you'll remember, Conspiracy, that one was rated 8.1, the highest of the season. And we uh, we pretty much loved that one. Although I do see that uh, looks like Justin was a lone wolf with his name vote on that one. <laughs> so I guess it wasn't unanimous. But uh, for the most part, we, we tended to enjoy that one. Um, the little blurb for this week's episode is while assigned to investigate missing outposts in the neutral zone, the enterprise revives three cryogenically, cryogenically frozen people found aboard a wayward derelict earth vessel. And, you know, when I was reading this, this, uh, little synopsis last week, I didn't, re I didn't remember the episode at all. Like the moment we were introduced to these characters that were unfrozen, I immediately remembered watching this episode and I immediately remember hating certain characters, <laughs> especially that like, it's all about me and my money guy. Yeah. And that Thurston Howell motherfucker. Yeah. It's like, he needs to be shot out of a goddamn airlock. Oh my God. Often house. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, the the nice lady and the country singer didn't bother me so much, but oh my god, that, that was everything that was wrong with 20th century Earth, specifically 20th century America. And it's really kind of fun that they just put that out on display, and Picard just has the opportunity to school him, saying, you know, 
we were in our infancy and we have matured and grown up. We no longer have a dependency on these material things and wealth. You know, we've decided we've, instead of, you know, striving to try to make more money and be better than other people, we just try to be better than our former selves. We just try to enrich ourselves, that kind of thing. And, uh, often house is like, yeah, whatever, you know, get me your manager. He, he is space. Karen. <laughs> yeah. Space Karen. That's a good, it's a good term for it. 100%. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I got money and mutual funds and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, my, my lawyer may be dead for centuries, but he was part of a very powerful firm. I'm sure they're <laughs> still around. Yeah, Miles and Massey firm. Yeah. I liked I like Sonny Clemens, the country guy. That's Leon yeah. uh, Rippey. He's he's been in a thousand things. We you know him from like Dark Man and Cuffs. And maybe Walker, Texas Ranger, if you're one of those people. But he's been in a lot of stuff. You've seen him in multiple things. Yeah, he was definitely familiar. And even the guy that played Offenhouse, I thought was really familiar too. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't. I had, I'd have to look him up to know what he's been in. He, he was uh, in Dynasty. He had a recurring role on Three's Company, which is probably, honestly, where I know him from. Probably. I, I love that show. Uh, he guest starred on Beverly Hills 90210, uh, Friday the 13th Part 8. Uh, he, he was a big TV like character actor. It's like if you look yeah. at his list of uh, credits, it's just like a lot of like a lot, a lot of stuff from the 70s and 80s. So, it, it, of course, he was going to be in an episode of Star Trek. Who wasn't? Right. He just died this year, January 14th, 2021. That's crazy. That blows me away. Yeah. Uh, looks like he retired from acting in 2011. Uh, that's according to Wikipedia. That is his last year as an active actor. But, yeah, he lived to be 93 years old. That is pretty damn impressive. Because in this episode, made like... 30-some years ago. He looked right. really old. It know? shows that he did a short film called The Final Show in 2016. Ah. On IMDb, anyway. Very cool. He was in Batman the Animated Series. He was the voice of Charles Baxter in Riddler's Reform from 1994. Cool, man. Busy B. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I like it when uh, the guest starring character roles are, are, are character actors that you recognize from other stuff, especially because if you look at the old 60s um, Star Trek, you know, you'll recognize people there, too, that went on to, to bigger things. And it's just kind of fun to, to see all these little roles and how they blossom into bigger actors. Right. Especially with Star Trek, because there's been so many other series that it's not uncommon for one to make an appearance either on the same series as a different character or show up as a different character or alien species or something on another star trek totally and i mean you get all sorts of and we haven't really experienced it much yet in season one i think but uh as next generation got more and more powerful and became more of a kind of cultural juggernaut for uh you know, that, that era of the late eighties, early nineties, pop culture, people like astronauts and Olympic athletes and all these people who you wouldn't expect to, to see on your TV screen, except for whatever little niche, uh, in the world that, you know, they might have publicized are all of a sudden having small speaking roles or background roles in Star Trek, the next generation, because it was the cool thing to do. Yeah. I remember James Worthy from the Lakers during the showtime era of the Lakers when they win all the championships, he was a Klingon. And a couple yeah. episodes of Next Generation, I remember it was, it was, it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. 
And it's cool when they come back, like, for multiple episodes, like, just a recurring character of some kind. I think that's always neat. Like, whoa, uh, they're back. Like, yeah, I mean, Q is the obvious one, but, you know, if there is a a Klingon or a Vulcan that has made multiple appearances, it's always fun. You're like, oh, fuck. Now we're in for a treat. (laughs) For me, there was something kind of magical that happened this episode, and and something that, you know, in a very similar way, was magical on an earlier episode in the season, too. Like, when we saw... Uh, Armin Shimmerman, who plays Quark in um, Deep Space Nine, as a different Ferengi in season one of Next Generation, it was amazing. It was just like, ah, you know, that, that's like the the little spark that would then grow into the fire that would become uh, one of the coolest characters on D- Deep Space Nine, uh, Quark. And then in this episode is our very first time seeing Romulans, and you know, they are being portrayed as these big, big bads since since the Klingons are no longer the big bads in Next Generation because you know they're all buddy buddy with Worf on the bridge and everything and and uh you know that's kind of a a big visual distance that's kind of putting the original series movies uh behind them as a thing of the past like no we're no longer at war with the the Klingons it's the Romulans we got to worry about now the first time that we actually see them one of them is played by the same actor that plays Gul Dukat who is a really really big Cardassian heavy uh in Deep Space Nine and it was super cool to see him in a different alien role in Star Trek as well but i immediately recognized the voice and then i recognized the face the guy the actor's name is mark alemo um who plays a, a romulan named t-buck in this uh, episode and i love his cardassian character on deep space nine so it was it was a treat for me to to see him as as a uh, as a romulan this time around yeah it looks like he's in the next generation a couple of times uh, he, we've uh, he has four credits for uh, Next Generation, two of which we have now seen in Neutral Zone and Lonely Among Us, which is kind of interesting. Playing a different character, of course. Um, but yeah, that is cool. Yeah, I'll take it. I, yeah, I, I love it. And you know what? There's only so many character actors to go around. And honestly, if you're going to throw alien makeup on them, Chances are you're probably not. You know, the average person is definitely not going to recognize them. Oh, I know. It's you know, it's one of us that like watches these shows a lot, and you know, we're, we're used to hearing these voices, or you can tell just from looking at like I'm going to call it the Batman portion of their face, the area that's exposed that's not covered by prosthetics usually, which is like the nose and the mouth area. You know, it's like I know those lips. Um, that's it's it's pretty cool to to be able to spot those recurring actors. Yeah, I remember. Uh spotting uh now you mentioned it david warner who is the angry butler oh. in titanic when he's in the there are four lights he's that that cardassian you're just like oh fuck i knew it was him the second i saw his face he's also sark in tron which is why yeah. i'm using my sark t-shirt 100 the camera yeah. oh one of one of my favorite movie villains and he is just such a just a wicked badass dude Yep. And I had no idea, no idea until like just within the last couple of years that he was that Cardassian in that episode with Picard. Holy yeah. shit. Goal, Goal Madrid is his name. And Chain of Dude. Command, part one and two. I cannot wait to see those episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the lights at the end of the tunnel for me to continue watching the series <laughs> because I know there are so many iconic just you know blow your ass out of the water good episodes coming that i just want to keep it going and, and accelerate the process and get there quicker speaking of which you should mention the director and um writer for this episode since Absolutely. they're batting perfect 
So, yeah, the, the director for this particular episode, Neutral Zone, is James L. Conway. He has directed one other episode previously, um, which was episode number seven, Justice, which was a unanimous yay vote. And the writer, Maurice Hurley, has written several episodes, including episode 19, Heart of Glory. Um, the binary 14, one. The binary one. Uh, and there was one or two others, I want to say. Episode 9, Hide and Q. Ah, uh, yes. All of those were also yays. So they're both batting perfect scores. So um, a thousand. At this point, on paper, this episode should be a yay. <laughs> David's going to ruin it. <laughs> Ruiner of things. But I mean, okay, so you mentioned this episode. You said something that was special for you, and that was seeing this other character that, that you've known from Star, other Star Trek. But I mean, yeah. when we saw the Romulan Warbird show up for the first time, that was so fucking cool, man. I love that yeah. ship so goddamn much. They have a cloaking device like the Klingons do. Klingons hate the Romulans. Humans are kind of afraid of a standoffish. You know, it's been, uh, what, 50 years or something since there's been contact. Right, and nobody knows how technologically advanced the other race has become over this time. Yeah. And all of a sudden, these outposts are just, like, not destroyed, just vaporized. They are gone, like, picked up, uprooted, and just missing, gone. They're like, holy shit, does, you know, the, the Federation's thinking, do the Romulans have this kind of technology? And the Romulans are sitting there thinking, holy shit, does the Federation have this kind of technology? And meanwhile, the, the Romulans are sitting there cloaked, watching the Enterprise's every move as they're going from outpost to outpost, finding that they're just completely gone and kind of like gauging, watching like what they're doing and, and trying to figure out, you know, um, how best to, to, to come at their, their adversaries. Like, you know, is it going to be all out guns ablaze and more, or is it going to be something we can talk about? Cause there's a, uh, a common enemy and that's kind of what it ends up being is, Hey, look, we realize that neither of us have the ability to do this. So maybe we should kind of like work together this once and uh, figure out what's doing this and put a stop to it. And it was interesting that uh, the most annoying character on this episode, Offenhouse, was the one that connected the two. Like, he's like, they don't know what the hell they're talking about or what they're up against, and they're hoping that you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, how does he just like wander into a turbo lift and be able to be taken straight to the bridge in any way? Shouldn't there be some sort of like voice print identification to make sure that you <laughs> right. can uh, go to, to top secret areas like that? I don't think so, because Picard was just saying that we've moved past all that. You know, we don't have. Good guys and bad guys. We're all just guys. <laughs> we don't have locks on doors or comm panels. Anybody can walk around pushing buttons and making fart noises that'll be broadcast across the entire ship. But yeah. we're adults, damn it, and we choose not to do it. And did you guys notice that Will Wheaton hasn't been around for a while? Yeah. Yeah. His last episode, I think, was Skin of Evil, right? When um, Tasha Yar didn't make it? He's uh, he's in therapy right now. He's on the therapy planet uh, because he is uh, emotionally scarred from that whole incident. Yeah, I still like we haven't seen him in a spell. Yeah, um, I mean, some of it might have been from from viewer backlash. Like, oh my god, why are why are we ruining Star Trek with this child? Uh, <laughs> and they and they like picked up on it partway through the season and made a course correction. Like, all right, well, fuck, let's edit the kid out. You know. That's funny. I just thought of that because he stumbled on Well, he didn't stumble on the bridge. He was on the bridge, but Picard was like, yeah. what are you doing on my bridge? Now, I'm going to go on the limb, out on a limb and say that I, I generally and genuinely do not mind 
Will Wheaton and uh, the Wesley Crusher character. So it is not my voice saying, ah, fucking, you know, get rid of the kid. Um, but I'm just putting myself in an adult audience of the late 80s going, why is this pandering towards children when the Star Trek that I grew up with in the 60s uh, did not? It was all <laughs> not adult my all Star the time. Trek. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't minded him as nearly as much in his last couple of roles. I know he hasn't been the last couple of episodes, but the last couple he's been in, they they clearly got the notes and they they wound down the whole wonderkind of it all. You know, that was just the point I didn't like is that like they made this like 13 year old kid better at Star Trek than these adult Star Trekkers. I think it was the drug. So symbiosis was the one before skin of evil. And that was the one that had the, the junkies that were relying on <laughs> Why would the, they do the medicine. Yeah. That was sort of like a pretty cringe where I mean, that we spoke at great length about how ridiculous that conversation was at his age, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's been a spell since we've seen him. But anyway, back to the neutral zone. And you know, one thing that um, I thought was interesting, like I was talking about like cryonics and, and I immediately thought of Walt Disney. Did you guys did that cross your guys' <laughs> mind at all? Whenever I think of anybody frozen, uh, <laughs> I always think of Walt Disney. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking no. of Ted Williams. Oh yeah, Ted Williams too. Now is it is it a real like is that is that urban legend? Walt Disney was frozen, or is that a real thing? That's that's super duper urban legend. There's there's okay. no way there's no way in the '60s they would have had the foresight to to try to cryogenically freeze anybody. Have you been to Tomorrowland, Randy? <laughs> They, they they straight up would not have had the technology. I, I I could I would more I would say with a higher degree of certainty that they uh, perfectly preserved his skin and made an entire animatronic to shove inside <laughs> of it so that he could once again walk the earth with maybe just a brain in a can kind of thing than believe in uh, cryogenically frozen Walt Disney. All right, I do think it's interesting how urban legends in in an era where social media didn't exist can pass. Through so many different people, <laughs> it's just because kids kids are are they're the worst. They're like wildfire. It's just like they'll say something stupid and and people will giggle and and just carry it and it just runs and it goes and it mutates. You know, like for example, I heard that uh, you know growing up after obviously 1986 when Star Tours opened, but I heard he was you know his it was either his head or his whole body was frozen underneath Star Tours. Where was it you heard his body was frozen? It's everybody knows a different place. I just yeah. knew that he was frozen. I didn't know that he was like stashed somewhere like in the park. I never heard of that. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely quote unquote in, in the park. And for me, I heard it was under under uh, Star Tours. Oh. David, did you ever hear anything crazy like that? Yeah, I mean, I've heard the same rumors and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't think I don't know if, if it's, and it, I, I sincerely doubt any of it's true. But, you know, you know, no way. that's that's one of two fun facts that anytime anytime Disney's name comes up, it's never what a what a visionary, what an amazing filmmaker. It's his head was frozen. And he was a Nazi sympathizer. Futurama style, like his, his head in a glass case. But I just yeah. I think that urban legends are pretty peculiar. Like whether it be like soda and pop rocks or or Richard Gere and the gerbil in the in the era pre Twitter, I just find it remarkable that you could be anywhere in the country and you are aware of said rumor <laughs> or urban and, legend. <laughs> and and here's the thing of that that might be kind of like the the origin or the patient zero as to how the story got started about his head because there is the projection of his head in the haunted mansion you know when you have those those busts sitting there uh singing as you as you oh die. yeah 
one of them is, is Walt Disney's face. Um, and it's being projected on there. So it's just like this disembodied head. So maybe people were just like, ooh, Haunted Mansion, ooh, disembodied head. Ooh, his head was cut off and frozen. And then, you know, the story just went on from there. Yeah, this episode uh, is interesting because I this is one of the few episodes that I watch. I went back and watched just on its own, um, uh, like probably like five years ago. Uh, so there's uh, Greg Cox wrote a series of books that took place uh, around Khan's ascension, you know, uh, you know, before he was exiled to the Botany Bay, well before Kirk encountered him in Space Seed in the original series. Uh, and so one of the cool things that he did is in, since his book takes place in like the 90s and early 2000s, and, you know, I think up to like 2046 or something like that, is he actually included all three of these characters in his book as like just kind of like Easter eggs because uh, the book was written well after this episode. Uh, and so, um, you know, Khan actually encounters two of them. And the third one is part of an agency, um, which I can't remember the name of the protagonist, um, who also shows up in an episode of the original series. Uh, so, um, so I remember reading that and being like, oh, that sounds like an interesting episode and actually watching this episode before. Um, you know, I think after maybe we vote, uh, I don't know if you guys have looked into the production of this episode and the fascinating nature of it <laughs> um, as far as, you know, what it was originally supposed to be versus what it ended up being because of the writer's strength. Uh, so I don't know if you want to talk about that now or after we vote since it's kind of a fun trivia afterwards. Um, I'm okay voting now. I feel like I pretty much said my piece about the majority of it, and then we can uh, maybe dissect it further and see if it changes our mind at all. That's kind of fun. Sure. All right. If you guys want to, um, I'll, I'll kick it off just for funsies. Um, I'm going to give it a yay. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, again, this is one of those ones that one of the few that I remember favorably from my childhood. Um, I like the, the the cryogenic aspect of it and. Um, really pinpointing that the reason that, that two out of three of those people were there were for abusing drugs or doing things that uh, people just look at as foreign now, or now in the 24th century, um, and uh, are, are easily treatable. And then the one who's just got her life completely turned upside down, she didn't even know that she was being cryogenically frozen. It's just kind of heartbreaking. It's something kind of relatable that I, I think a lot of us can really uh, put ourselves in, in her position and see how awkward and, and painful and weird it would be to wake up 300 years in the future when everything you know and everyone you know is dead. So, um, I don't know. I, I related to it. I liked it a lot. So, Especially if you're having like an embolism. Like, you don't even know, right? You're just, you could be driving, you could be sleeping, you could be talking on the phone, and then all of a sudden you just drop. And that's that's heartbreaking. That is that is ridiculous. That's talk about like someone being taken away from you too soon, um, and to wake up four hundred years in the future. That would just be some batshit weird craziness. And I don't know. That's that's something that's you know we talked about this before. Like I don't, I don't want to get eaten by a shark. I don't want to drown. I don't want to be burned to death. Right. But I mean I don't want to be afraid when I die. I think that would just be awful. And uh, just to, to all of a sudden have, you know, like an embolism and then just not be here anymore and not have a chance to say goodbye to anybody. Uh, and it just, it just all be taken away from you in an instant, right? It could be like, it could be a drunk driving accident where someone just hits you and you're gone. And that's terrifying too. And I hate that. And I think that when she was, a you know, brought back and, you know, looking up, you know, her great, 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 great grandson or whatever, and seeing the resemblance to her husband, just how heartbreaking that would be. It would almost be like dying again in some weird way. And I don't know, it, it kind of 
made me sad as I was watching it. So yeah, one of make sure everyone who know every, everyone you love, make sure that you know they 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 know you love them. One hundred percent. Um, and and you only think about that when someone you know passes away, and then after a couple of days, it something happens, right? Like the whole time heals all wounds, and not only that, but you forget about things sometimes, and it's upsetting. And then you get reminded to the cold, harsh reality when someone else passes, and it's always upsetting. But I do think that uh, as we talk about relatability, that's definitely something that is relatable. Just seeing her sadness. You know, she she can't really celebrate being alive because she's just sad that everyone that she knows is gone, and that that's heartbreaking. And I and I did like this looming threat. We don't know who this bad guy is yet. Um, you know, I I think it's the Borg, right? Like knowing what we know, but uh, at the time we would have no idea that this isn't whatever you said, May of nineteen eighty eight. But uh, that is kind of creepy to know that the most advanced civilization that the, the earthlings know as the romulans are also scared of who this could be that's that's uh that's off-putting to say the least so yeah i'm a yay as a long answer for saying yeah i'm a yay i apologize <laughs> nice i i'm actually a soft nay like like again you know 4951 um uh, you know i don't think i didn't i don't think the a plot really panned out the way you know I would have wanted it to with the Romulan thing. Uh, I love the Romulan bird of prey. It's my, fa- it's probably my favorite next generation ship. Uh, and then, you know, that often house, man, he just, I mean, he just really off puts me off. And so, you know, as much sympathy as I had for, uh, for what's her shape, what's her face. Um, I just, he just took me out of it so many times. And so, yeah, so I'm, I'm a soft nay on it, but um, I, I can respect your yays. I don't think you guys are crazy for thinking the way you think. Um, so there you go. Claire Raymond, I think was her name. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it was uh, uh, Elven House and then... Um, Sonny, the... Sonny Clemens. Sonny Clemens. Sonny Clemens, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, well, now that we have the answer, do you want to know who the invisible threat was supposed to be? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is very interesting. So there was a, a Writers Guild strike uh, around that time, and uh, this was intended to be a two-part episode, you know, Star Trek is famous for its multi-season cliffhangers, and uh, the first season was going to be the first time they did it. Uh, it was going to end with a cliffhanger of the Romulans, kind of similar to how it had it worked out this time to where the Romulans and the Federation have to come together, and they realize uh, there's a bigger, batter, a bigger, badder threat out there. Uh, and then a Borg cube was going to come into frame. It was going to be like, assimilate, we're going to murder you. We pr- maybe not, maybe wouldn't even have seen the Borg. Uh, and it was going to be a to be continued and it was going to come back and the Romulans and Federation was going to have to come together to defeat the new Borg threats. Mm. Um, unfortunately, due to the writer's strike, the, the script that we got had to be written in less than a day. Uh, so it was it was very rushed. Um, and uh, so because of that, they weren't able to do with the things that they wanted to do. Um, or, um, uh, originally, when Roddenberry put the uh, the show bubble together uh, before the first season. Uh, he he had explicit, ex- explicitly stated that he didn't want Romulans and Klingons to be the bad guys, and he didn't want really any interaction with the Vulcans. And you know, to his credit, you know, for most of the first season, they adhered to that. It wasn't until the Ferengi were not received as well. I, they I think they wanted the Ferengi to be kind of like the new big bad Klingons, uh, but I don't think that people took them 
and so uh, that that's what that's when they had made the decision to uh, to kind of bring the the Romulans in at the end game, and then of course they found their new big baddie with the Borg in season two. So sweet, that's a little bit of thing. Uh, I think maybe you know reading that uh, before we voted might have uh, kind of tainted my opinion. Uh, so maybe that's why I was a sliver of a nay. But I guess you can't vote on what ifs, only what there is. Mm-hmm. The only what if you can vote on is the Marvel what if. Yeah, you sure can't. Because that shit's for real. Yeah, you know, and that's something that I noticed that I really kind of appreciated about this episode, too. I thought, wow, this is the first time that I can think of that a series of Star Trek did not end, at least a modern series of Star Trek, uh, didn't end in a cliffhanger. And I thought, wow, I wonder if that's because they didn't know if they were coming back for season two and they wanted to just kind of have a nice little bow at the end of it or, or what. But... Yeah, there was a little bit of a cliffhanger, but it wasn't that deep. So the season two started in November uh, instead of traditionally end, what, end of August, early September would probably be when the show would kick back on again. So right. there was the writer strike definitely had an impact on season two as well. Yeah, usually syndicated shows will start later too, because uh, this since this would they they would make these episodes and then syndicate them. Instead of you know like a, like an NBC show where all of a sudden you I know, thought they weren't syndicated until they hit like a hundred episodes. That's that's traditional like shows that are like on a network to where you know Star Trek has always been syndicated. It's never had like a, a home of its own. It wasn't mm-hmm. until like the, the UPN became a thing uh, around the time of like Voyager, uh, but even then it was still a syndicated program. Gotcha. Well, let me see when season three starts because this ends in. July, so it even goes longer because they started later. So it actually goes all the way to July fifteenth, nineteen eighty-nine, season two. That's long. <laughs> yeah. Denny Geek said the neutral zone was one of the twenty-five must-watch episodes of Next Generation. So season three started back up in September. So there was only a month and a half in between seasons. Well, that's good because season two ends in that giant cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. And then season four uh, also begins in September. So, yeah, season two was definitely an impacted by the writer's strike to where they didn't start. It's the only season that starts in November. The rest all start in September. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's almost Thanksgiving, November 21st. Fuck, man, that's a long time. That's why Breaker grew his beard, you know, because he was just like, (laughs) fuck this shit. They're striking, I'm growing a beard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Best of well, both worlds is season goes end of season three. The Lacunas of Borg, not season two. Sorry. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, we have a lot to look forward to, and uh, I want to say that I am proud of us for sticking to it, making it through the end of season one. I know it wasn't easy. Um, there were times we probably wanted to uh, take that 45 minutes that we were watching Star Trek and watch anything, literally anything else. But uh, we stuck it out and we had a good time doing it overall. And the final tally for season one, 14 yays to 11 nays. Um, The majority of them were not unanimous, (laughs) I'm going to say. I was going to say, I think I definitely had more nays than yays in the first season. Yeah, and I'll say just off the top of my head, uh, just from my recollection, I would agree with that. I'm looking at at least three yay votes where you were the lone wolf with nays. 
Yeah, I, I loaned it four times. But uh, but overall, I, I feel good getting through it. And like I said, I don't have any uh, I don't have any desire to watch it again anytime real soon, if ever. But I'm glad that I did this time. And uh, whether or not we continue to do season two, if you uh, find gents want to uh, continue this little journey with me, I would be happy to do it. But I think this for uh, for an experiment for season one, just to see how this uh, felt, I think it worked pretty fucking well. <laughs> Can't stop. I had, I had stop. a good time. Yeah. You guys are making it sound like all the good stuff is still to come. So I would rather continue with the good stuff than just end on a bunch of on 11 shitty episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. I mean, the good stuff is definitely yet to come. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's just the thing too. Like are those later seasons, are there as many good episodes as we remember? Uh, are we having kind of, like I don't know. You, you named like four episodes from the next like seven seasons. <laughs> There's a lot of other episodes. I know. I know. But but we're gonna get Guinan and we're gonna get the uh, the other lady doctor and Pulaski. Uh, Pulaski, thank you. Yeah, and I got all I got I got all the dirt I got all the dirt on on, on that casting change. If you guys want to talk about that oh. in season two, yeah, I yes, can't oh, wait. Yes. I, I yeah. can't wait because I don't remember. I remember looking up once when I was rewatching this uh, like three years ago, but I couldn't remember for the life of me what the drama was so i'm excited to hear what it is i promise i won't look it up just so you can tell me no i mean you can to look it up it's 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 not super duper juicy but uh it's a it's an interesting note to basically gates mcfadden hated one of the writers one of the writers hated gates mcfadden <laughs> the writer told roddenberry fire gates mcfadden they fired her then the next year they fired the writer and they're like let's bring back gates mcfadden <laughs> and she came what was the writer uh i had it written down earlier it was I have all their names in front of me, so that's why I'm curious which one it <laughs> oh. is. All right, I can tell you in two seconds. In the meantime, I'll, I'll vamp for time while you're uh, <laughs> while you're doing that. I'm gonna give you guys a little blurb for episode one of season two because it sounds like we're gonna keep this shit moving forward. Baby uh, Yoda, right? It's the child. Season season one, episode two <laughs> is called the child. <laughs> Or season two, episode one. I'm sorry. It's rated only 5.7 stars, which is Shit. fucking low <laughs> by anybody's standards. And here's the blurb: Deanna is impregnated by an unknown life form, and Doctor Catherine Pulaski joins the Enterprise as the ship's new chief medical officer. So, and, and we get Maurice Shirley right is the name of the writer. Oh, oh sure, hey. oh, we know Maurice. He's he's yeah, he, our he he's our episode. buddy. He did this one. <laughs> Yeah, and he did like three others, and they were all yays. Yeah. Yeah, according to an interview he did with Television Academy, he had a real bone to pick with McFadden. McFadden didn't care for Hurley either. Hurley went directly to Gene Roddenberry and asked for Gate, asked to have let Gates let go. Uh, Berman, however, uh, for whatever reason, uh, decided not to get involved because they're talking about Rick Berman and stuff like that. So basically, McFadden got let go. Uh, then Cur Hurley left his position as head writer at the end of season two. Berman asked McFadden, McFadden to come back, uh, and then uh, they had a bunch of like the co-stars. They like, dude, you need to come back. This other chick sucks. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I had a fun idea. I don't know if uh, I know we we were keeping a lot of sabermetric type stats on uh, the next generation. I didn't know if we wanted to kind of make like I don't want to use the word drinking game, but you know, kind of bringing some like drinking game elements, but just for scoring purposes, just for like fun. Uh, so I had a couple things that we could do. I thought that between the three of us, each of us could pick one of the big three, you know, Picard, Riker, and Data. And every time it is an episode that revolves around them, you get a point. Uh, then I also thought we could each pick two supporting characters because there's kind of 
six secondary characters. Uh, and then anytime they got like a storyline, uh, you know, to where they were part of like the A or B plot, we get a point. Uh, and then I thought we each could pick an alien race. And then if they are brought into into the show, and if you picked Klingon, it does not count that Worf is a Klingon. Worf does not count as a Klingon in, in this scenario. Uh, and then I thought as a tiebreaker, we would say, uh, just in case we tie, uh, we each would pick a number of how many times uh, someone is going to say engage in season two. Uh, and that would be how we broke our ties. So uh, if you guys want to do that, you know, we can draft now or later. Uh, you know, I think it would be safe if you wanted to wait till next week, we could draft after watching one episode of the show. That would, yeah, be- I think that'd be yeah. fun. Let's do it yeah, next definitely. week. All right. It's interesting that you say that about Worf that he doesn't count as a Klingon because mm-hmm. for humans, he's, he's too Klingon to be a human. And for Klingons, he's too human to be a Klingon. Yeah. He's definitely a Klingon. I just didn't want someone to pick Klingon. He's in all 25 episodes, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the, the great thing about the warp character is he's pretty much like every uh, mixed minority uh, race you can imagine because um, you know they're not blank enough to fit in with that society they're not blank enough to fit in with the other right. society you know so it's like where where do they feel at home where where do they feel like they are with their people kind of thing um, and yeah. and that's something and- that's always relatable you can't pick Betazoids, or if you do, Troy doesn't count. So any anyone okay. in the regular cast, they don't count as that. Uh, they don't count as a representative for that alien. Okay, so we can pick Klingon. We just don't get to count Worf. So right. if those if those big blue twins point. show up, or if some random Klingon shows up, then that counts. Yeah, and same thing if a Betazoid shows up, it counts. But Deanna Troy does not count. And Is, have we seen another Betazoid that's not her mom? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I mean, Wasn't I there a guy she was supposed to marry? I think he was from another planet, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to convince someone to pick Betasoid, but I just. I didn't want there to be uh, the Worf loophole. Mm-hmm. Any main series, because I think it's just those two are the only aliens. Is there a loop that's not a hole? <laughs> so curiosity. I think by nature loops are holes. <laughs> so... All loops are holes. Not all holes are loops. Can I get a filled loop? I don't want no holes. <laughs> it's like a jelly-filled donut. <laughs> so yeah, so so next week I, I can get like a like a random number generator uh, to see sure. who picks first, uh, you know. And so we'll do the big three, and we'll spin the wheel, see who picks first. And if it's Justin, he gets to pick one of the three, and then we'll then we'll spin between Randy and I, and whoever gets that gets to pick next, and then the last person gets what's left. Uh, and then uh, we'll do maybe reverse order for the secondary cast. So cool. if the first the first one goes Justin, Randy, Dave, the next one will go Dave, Randy, Justin. And then we do a sneak draft for that. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And uh, from the sound of it, this first episode is going to stink. So we probably don't need to talk about it very much. So it gives us more time to work on, on putting this together. But if you pick <laughs> so, Deanna, then you get, uh, you automatically get a point because she's in the first, she's the focal point of the first episode, right? Yeah. Right. So I, I, th- I think we'll have to, the, the first episode the first doesn't count. It'll okay. just kind of give us an idea of how the scoring would, would, sure. would, would work. Null and void. And and just so you know, for the secondary characters that I picked, uh, you know, it was Jordy, Worf, Wesley, Pulaski, Troy, and O'Brien. Cool. Oh, O'Brien. Oh, O'Brien how how soon into, into season two does he show so up? I watched the first episode of season two, and he is in it. Oh, okay. oh fantastic. I don't think I name him, but he's... <laughs> he, he has well, he was in season time. one, unnamed too, though. Yeah. Because yeah. remember, we keep having all these chief engineers, and you're like, how many chief engineers they got? Yeah, yeah. And Jordy is officially the chief engineer in episode one. All right. I wonder how you'd feel about that. Like, no longer 
driving the ship. You know, he's the helmsman right now. And, you know, just being in another part of the ship. Is that a, I mean, Scotty was, you know, he's, he's a, he's iconic, right? Being in the engineering room. So they just seem like different skill paths, (laughs) right? Like you would think of the Pantheon of like working your way up throughout the ranks. I I, I wouldn't think it would go helmsman chief engineer. Right. Maybe he was studying (laughs) at his own time. He stayed at a holiday and night school classes. (laughs) Yeah. Learning annex. Yeah. I mean, obviously they had a discussion about it. Like, you know, we need some, we need a more permanent fixture fixing this ship. They're about to go into deep space, even more deep space, deeper space, and they're going to cause, they're going to have some problems. So we need somebody that knows what they're doing. Yeah, they're definitely trying to fill like the, uh, the roles that they filled in the original series and they, they don't, they didn't have that Scotty character, but by taking Jordy and putting him in chief engineering, I think that creates like a like a Sulu hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to right now, Jordy's kind of the Sulu, unless their intent was for uh, Wesley to be kind of like the Sulu. Yeah, I feel like Wesley is that. I think for the time being, he becomes the helmsman. I don't know. I don't know who does it later on. <laughs> like I don't know who Jay sits is, in that chair a lot. <laughs> Well, yeah, he sometimes he enters in like coordinates or he fills in the information, but he, I think he's normally like doing some sort of scanning of the area. Yeah, he kind of fills that science officer kind of like Spock role. Yeah. Because Spock pulls double duty as the science officer and the first officer. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. It's always interesting when, like, we had that incident where, uh, you know, having security present and it's a wharf. But data is so much stronger than than Worf. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting when that's a thing. It's like, why not just have both of them show up? <laughs> right. Because I mean when you boil it down, data can do every single person on the bridge's job better than them. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's the captain of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Gotta keep him out. Power him down every once in a while. He needs some sort of flaw to where he has to like recharge or something. Yeah. Because right now he's just too amazing. Nope, you can do it all. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, Randy. I didn't mean to hijack your show. No, it's all good, man. Um, I think that's about it for uh, this season one of uh, Next Generation and Geek Legacy's Escape Pod. Uh, you guys have any closing thoughts before we uh, crash into this side of this asteroid? I don't think so. I'm glad it's over. Yeah. Fuck it. Burn in hell. <laughs> season one. <laughs> Which again, has more yay votes than nay votes. So. It does. It's just painful yeah. at the beginning. Those Tasha Yar episodes, some of them were pretty yeah. bad. Some of the Wesley episodes were pretty bad. The alien effects were pretty bad. And it just needed to find its footing. And, I mean, just thinking back to when that one shot that showed uh, basically Picard's view, looking at the, you know, his two people in, at their little chairs at the front and then the screen, just all that space, you know, like, just showed how cheap it really was. And so once they figured out what works and what doesn't, it's only going to get better. Uh, aside from the writing, of course, but uh, visually, it's going to be much more compelling going forward. Absolutely. And then if you two yeah. want to add anything to our little fun drinking game, uh, you guys are more than welcome. I had a couple other things on there, like anytime Riker does a little step over or I was trying to find one for Picard, he does that thing where he like pulls his shirt down. But if you oh, guys yeah. want to try to think of anything else, uh, you're more than welcome too. Good times. All right. Thanks for listening to the show and uh, come back and join us hopefully next week for uh, the beginning of season two. 